You are listening to the weekly sermon podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. If you'd like to learn more about CBC, check out our website at cbcofsavannah.org. And now this week's sermon from the series, Choose This Day, from the book of Joshua. Back in the book of Joshua this week. Hope you guys enjoyed Dr. Richard last week, for those who were here. Great man. Great encouragement to me, and he loved being here, even though he was sick as a dog when he was here, but he uh, really enjoyed being with you all, so your encouragement to him. This is obviously a watch. Not much to look at, really. It got a cheesy band on it, one of these kind of, you know, grab your arm hair and make you scream bands, as I call them. Um, If you looked at it, it, you know, it doesn't even work. It works because I wind it up, but it's it's a wind-up watch. It's old. has a crack in the crystal, Um, you know. Just kind of just a watch. If I gave it to you, you'd probably take it down to big money, get you a little couple hundred dollars, or you know, I, I don't know what it's worth, but um, it really has no significance to you. Just a watch. But to me, see, this was my grandfather's watch. And this was a gift to him when he came back from the Philippines from fighting in World War II from his parents. His initials are on the back. And when he passed away, this was given to me. In fact, this is the only thing I have from my grandfather. You could say, this is my inheritance from him. Now, my perspective changes this watch, doesn't it? If that was your grandfather and this was your watch, it makes it valuable, does it not? And you maybe have something in your house like that. Maybe you got an old chair, an old doll, an old record, an old something, you know, from, from somebody in your family, and it has value. Why? Because where it is, because it's where it comes from, because it's your inheritance, The text of scripture we're going to look at today is much like that. Most people are going to say, boring, lists, locations, boring, right? And the reason is, is because it's not your inheritance. It's not your watch. If that was your inheritance, however, you would be listening. You'd be like, oh yeah, I know that. I know where that hill is. I know where that border is. I know where that river is. And it would mean something. Here's what we do in the church, and it's bad. When you're interpreting scripture, never ask first and foremost, what does this mean to me? If you're ever in a Bible study and somebody says, what does it mean to me? Hit them with your Bible and run. All right, do that. You have my permission. Because it's not the question we ask first. We don't ask what it means to you. The first question you ask is, what does it mean to them? What did it mean to the original audience? To these guys living you know, a thousand years before Christ comes, what does this mean to them? And then you will rightly interpret it so you can apply it to your life. Then you can say, okay, how does that apply to me based on what it means in its original context? So that is, the, that is a principle of, of hermeneutics that you have to stay with. Hermeneutics just means interpretation. Because it may be boring to us, but for them, this is the good stuff. This is kids at Christmas driving to grandma's house. They get to grandma's house. They got to kiss old people that smelled like mothballs. Nobody here. Right, but you know, they gotta kiss the aunt that they don't know, and they gotta eat turkey that they don't care about, and they gotta hear stories and watch videos that they have means nothing to them, but they are waiting for that moment. The reason they got in the car in the first place and went to grandma's house, presence under the tree. Right? This portion of scripture is the presence under the tree. That's what it is for these folks. 
Yeah, there's a river. Yeah, there's a Jericho. Where's the inheritance? What have we been waiting for for 400 plus years? That's the good stuff, right? And, th and that's the portion we're going to look at today, right? We're going to look at a huge portion. We're not even going to read it all, right? Chapter 13 to 21. And what it is, is, is God, I mean, Joshua is divvying out the land that God has given to the people. Reuben, you get this. Judah, you get this. Ephraim, you get this. Here's where you go. This is your land. He's knocked out most of the the big cities are gone. All the resistance, there's little pockets left. So he's going to give them their land and say, you guys take care of the rest. This is their inheritance. This has been waiting for 40 years, 50 plus times in, the 13, in these chapters, it mentions their inheritance. It's huge for them. The land is huge. It's been what they've been waiting for. By the way, the land is still huge to the Israelites. Is there any reason that there's a little sliver of land in the Middle East the size of Jersey that has no diamond mines or oil fields or anything? There's no earthly reason it should be in the news every day. It's in the news every day, and people are fighting about it. Why are they fighting over it? Because God told Israel, this is your land forever, right? And even though they weren't in it for 2,000 years, his promises are true. And when they went back in it in 1948, big hubbub, right? And there still is, fighting over Mount this, fighting over the, the Gev, fighting over these things. And it's a spiritual issue because Satan hates what God loves. What does God love? His church. So he persecutes the church. He chose the nation of Israel. There's no earthly reason Israel should exist, y'all. None. 70 AD, Rome smashes them, takes their land, and they weren't in it for 2,000 years until 1948. Jews all over the world, and they come back. Why does the Jewish nation even exist? The Hittites are gone. The, the Greek, Greek empire is gone. The Hivites, the, the, all the ites are gone. The Jew, Jewish people remain. Why? Because God promised them the land, and they're his chosen people, and he's got a future for them. Jesus will sit on the throne in Jerusalem, 12 disciples ruling and reigning with him at some point, right? It's gonna happen because he promised it. So the land is significant then, the land is significant now, right? And we're gonna look at it, all right? So chapter 13 to 21, here's kind of an outline of the passage, all right? I got my map working here. All right, no, I don't have my map working. It keeps disconnected. Go to the map, whoever's up in the booth. Scotty, I need the power. All right, there we go. Here's the land. This is what they're gonna get. Chapter 13, he is going to deal with these three on the west, east side of the Jordan, all right? That's chapter 13. Chapter 14 and 15, he's going to deal with Judah and Caleb. Caleb is one of the most famous Judahites, right? He's going to get, talk about what they get. Chapter 15 and 16, what did I say? 16 and 17, excuse me, is Joseph's two boys, Manasseh and Ephraim, those two tribes. He's going to talk about what they get. Chapter 19... 18 and 19, he's going to get the all rest of them. Dan, Benjamin, Issachar, Zebulun, all these guys up here. And then 20 and 21, he's going to deal with all the important cities, the city of refuge and the city of the Levites. All right, now we're not going to look at everything. That's just big picture. There's a little portions and pieces we're going to look at, but that's where we're going. That's, that's kind of big picture. You want to read through it this week and hear about all the rivers and all these things? You go do it. But what I want to do is big picture it. I want to ask the question first, how would you respond if you get your inheritance finally? 400 years, God promises land, you finally are in it, you've been wandering around the wilderness, some of you, for a long time, the ladies are, haven't had any a stove, they've been living in a tent, they've been chasing sheep, finally they get their land, finally they get their house. What is the response of the Israelites if that was you? I know how I'd respond. I'd be like, oh, finally. It'd be joy. Wouldn't there be some joy wouldn't there be some, some, finally, this excitement, this thanksgiving that God has done what he said he was going to do? That's how I would respond. Here's, here's kind of the key passage of this entire text. 
The Lord gave, this is chapter 21, the Lord gave Israel all the land that he swore to give their fathers. They took possession of it, they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side just as he has sworn to their fathers. Not one of their enemies had withstood them for the Lord had given all their enemies in their hands. Not one word of the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. And I love at the end there, he says, not one of the good promises. God has given them good land, good promises for them to enjoy. And there would be a response of joy. They finally get their inheritance. And what we're gonna talk about today briefly is we kind of big picture of this thing is, is we're talking about choosing joy. We've been talking about decisions and every week there's a decision point. This week's decision is joy, right? If you get what God has finally promised you, he has shown himself faithful, there is gonna be joy. When we planted this church almost seven years ago, one of the things I wanted to be as a church was a joyful church. I had enough grumpy churches in my day that I didn't wanna be that. And so from day one, the vision was to be a church where people whether life was great or life was the pits, because sometimes it's great and sometimes it's the pits, but there would be a joy in God's people, a joy. How does that joy come? That's what we're gonna answer today. Because the psalmist says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the Old Testament. This is, this is God saying, I bring joy. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. There should be a joyfulness in God's people. Even when things stink, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. So how can we have joy? How can we choose joy? I've identified just kind of four quick big picture things in this text that we're gonna work through so that we can be continually a church of joy. I think we are a church of joy. I see smiling people coming up the road every Sunday. I'm excited about it. I don't see people kicking the curb. Now, I see something in your back. I watch it. You don't sing with joy, so you need to either move up or just fake it at least, all right? But we wanna be a church of joy. And the day we're not, I'm telling you, I'm retiring, and I'm not even kidding, because I just don't want to preach to grumpy people. Sorry about that. Because I happen to be excited about what God is doing, and, and so I want to be joyful. So let's look, let's look at what joy looks like, at least in this text. Again, verse 43. Notice the wording. The Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest. There it is again, that word, on every side, just as he has sworn. Not one of their enemies had withstood him, for the Lord had given, again, there it is again, this Hebrew word, Natan, gave all their enemies to their hands. Not one word of all the good promises the Lord made to the house of Israel had failed. He's done what he said he was going to do, and there's still a little bit of Canaanites left, but he will do that as well if they will trust him. And, and again, how, think about the concept of an inheritance. How do you get an inheritance? How do I get this watch? I have to be part of a family, right? It, my grandfather didn't just give this to someone else. He gave it to me. Why? Because I was part of his family. That's the nature of an inheritance. You get it because you're part of a, a family deal. Can't earn it. It's a gift. My father collects many things that I don't care about. One of the things he collects is we, he, weapons. He's a ex-Marine. Hurrah, happy birthday, Semper Fi Marines this week, right? He's an ex-Marine. He collects guns. And a lot of the guns he collects is Civil War rifles. And so he constantly had to be telling me and my brother, just me and my brother, okay, Billy, you get the Mississippi rifle when, and Sam, Stephen, you get the, uh, you get the Sharps carbine, and, and you get the Spencer carbine. And I, you know what? I'm like, write it down, Dad. I don't care. I, I mean, I just don't care. Now, when he says, Stephen, you get the ski boat, Billy, you get the Jeep, then I'm like, all right, now we're talking. <laughs> All right, I'm thinking, can I be like the prodigal son who asks for his inheritance before you're gone? Okay, can I do that? Is that allowed here? Is that, okay, I'll, I'll apologize later. But, 
Uh, right? But see, there's the idea. I didn't earn it. I didn't buy the Jeep. I didn't buy the Spencer Carbine. My dad did. That's his. And he is giving it to me because I am part of the family. It is grace. The land, Israel's land, is not something they earned. It's not something they, they never were born there. Abraham, the father, was, was born in modern-day Iraq, modern-day Iran. He came all the way, and God says, I'm going to give you a land that you didn't do anything. I'm giving it to you because of grace, because I've chosen you. And that's the only reason, right? That's your inheritance. Because of my goodness, I want you to enjoy it. And if you're thinking, why, Bill, that's great. I don't have any guns coming, and I don't have any land in Liberty County or something. Like, you know, and so, so what does this mean to me? Yes, it was great for them. So why is it here for me if all scripture is profitable and, and all these things? So what does it mean for me? Well, think about this. Does the scripture ever use language, the New Testament writers specifically, about way we have an inheritance, that we have something coming to us? If you know your Bible, you'll say the answer is, yeah, it does. In fact, it speaks tremendously about it. In fact, let me just give you two real quick. Paul says this, and we looked at this a couple months ago when we went through Ephesians. He prays that they may know what is the hope to which God has called them. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? He said, I want you to know right now, Ephesus, how great your inheritance is. It's better than a Jeep. It's certainly better than a watch. It's great. And this is the language of Paul constantly, Right? But Peter, I want you to see Peter. Turn to 1 Peter. If you know where 1 Peter is, go turn there. If you don't, turn to the back of your Bible. Flip back a couple books and it's there. It's a real short book, a little five-chapter book. Here's what Peter says about our inheritance. Chapter 1. I like hearing your, your pages turn, y'all. Bring your Bible, please. Don't rely on the slides because 90% of the time they ain't working. I mean, that's just the reality. So <laughs> bring your Bible or grab the one in front of you. This is what Peter says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope, right? Through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Notice the next phrase, to an inheritance, right? To an inheritance. Now, and again, the wording here in 1 Peter, it's so similar to me to Joshua, where it says Joshua, God, it says God gave them, God gave them, God gave them, God gave them. God did this, God did this. What does it say here? Who caused you to be born again to a living hope? God did. Go back to verse one and two, that he chose you according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. Who chose who? He chose you. Who caused you to be born again? He caused you to be born again. To what? An inheritance. It's so similar. God caused them to have the land. God caused you to be born again. Why? To an inheritance, which is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Or the NAS says, will not fade away. What does that mean? It means you will never change its oil its roof will never fall off, and you won't get bored with it. In a billion years, it will still be exciting. It's not like, oh, that's last year's Christmas present, right? In a billion years, it'll be brand new. In a billion years after that, you'll be like, wow. That's what unfading means. And notice the next phrase. It's reserved for who? For you. It's got your name on it. For you. This is what Jesus tells his disciples when they're all sad because he told them, I'm leaving, y'all. And he says, don't worry, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That where I am, you may also be. This is an inheritance that is specifically for you, that is beautiful, that is imperishable. And how do they respond? Look at verse six, love it, love it. In this, this inheritance, you rejoice. 
But look at what he says next. Though for now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. The book of Peter is written to a group of Christians who are suffering and struggling. They're being persecuted. They're being killed for their faith. And Peter says, I know it's hard and you have various trials, but in this, your inheritance, you rejoice. In the midst of the cancer, in the midst of your prodigal child, in the midst of I don't have a job, in the midst of I hate my job, in the midst of I can't stand my spouse, in the midst of my, nobody likes me, in the midst of those things, he says, you can still rejoice. Why? Because you have an inheritance. So that's, that's what Peter's saying. And so the first way in which we as a church will continue to have joy is this, is to know that your inheritance is great and to remember that and to recall that and to go there, especially in those times of struggle. And what I realize as I'm preparing for this message this week is how fickle I am and how often my joy, Bill Fowler's joy, is tied and dependent to this world and what's going on. It is. Yesterday morning, I come down, I hear the craziness going on downstairs, three boys, Right? And a dog, Milton the Sanctifier, as he's been known. <laughs> and Milton the Sanctifier has tore up one of the pillows. I mean, and there is fluff everywhere. 7.20 in the morning. And that is the place where my joy is gone. <laughs> right? I'm 39 years old, a couple months away from 40. Never had physical issues in my life. I feel like I'm Mr. Potato Head and everything's falling off now. I can't run anymore. My hip is killing me the last couple weeks. I'm like, what in the world? I was running great. Makes me grumpy. Had to put $700 of the tires on my car. That makes me grumpy. And, I, and I'm thinking about these things, and I'm like, how much am I tied to this world? My joy is tied to this world, right? And I think that some of us, are that's us. And the reason we have no joy is because we're so wrapped up here, and we don't see our inheritance. A few months ago, I took the fam. We went to Hershey, PA, sweetest place on earth, right? Riding the ride. It was great. We hit, we hit on the way up our favorite Bob Evans right off 95 in North Carolina. It's our goal. We stopped there. And the kids, all the kids have a little money from grandparents and the, you know, the, the jar we collect. And I won't say which child didn't save it. I won't say him or her. Um, but we're three hours into the trip, and they're already wanting to spend their money. And this child comes up to me and says, I want to get this. He wants a Hershey bar. I'm thinking, do you know where we're going? <laughs> okay. I know you want to spend your money. We're going to the place where the streets have made of this stuff. All right. The hotel is made of chocolate. And you want to buy chocolate from Hershey. Made in China. Not even made there probably. I don't even know. Right. But the point, but that's how we are sometimes, right? That's where we're going. But while I'm here, I want the Hershey bar. I can't have the Hershey bar. You're making me sad. I don't get the Hershey bar. Do you know where you're going? Do you know what you have? And that's the point of Peter. For a little while, if necessary, various trials. You know what a little while is? 86 years. <laughs> right? I mean, compared to 8 billion, does 86 mean anything? And after 8 billion years, you realize eternity won't even have started yet? I'd be like, oh, that was the intro. All right, 86, a little while, a little while. And so he says, this, know your inheritance. And it's very interesting. The problem with America is it's just good enough that we don't think about it. You go overseas, you go to the Philippines right now, you go places, they're not worrying about their retirement. 
And every place in the world I've been, Africa, the former Soviet bloc, Central America, it's very interesting that the Christians there have nothing and have a lot more joy than the Christians in America. And the problem, the reason is, is because they're not looking forward to retirement. They're looking forward to something else. And they talk about heaven a whole lot more than we do. Because we have just enough functional saviors, especially when stuff goes bad, that we look to to save us. Whether it's alcohol, booze, or maybe, oh, I would never do that because I do uh, but I, I'll spend eight hours on social media. Or maybe I'll go start a new project to keep my mind off it. Or I'll, I'll do these things to distract myself. And no functional savior will ever replace the true one. And I know there's a struggle. There's that tension, that already not yet. And we want it now. And I think, you know, oh, yeah, I, know, I, know, I know I'm going there, but it's hard while I'm here now. Peter gets that too because he says, no, you have not seen him. What? You love him. But I know you do not see him now, but believe in him. You rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. That's the same chapter. And there's even a tension with the inheritance back in, um, back in Joshua. Here's, okay, for those who are great students, there's something missing here. Specifically, there's someone missing here. Who's missing? You go through your 12 tribes of Israel. Who's missing here? Anybody? The Levites, very good. Levi doesn't get any land. What is he, a bum? And we go start a jeans company? What's his deal, right? Why does Levi left out, right? It's on purpose. In fact, four times in these nine chapters, it says something along the lines of this. But to the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance. Why? It's not fair. Here's why. Because the Lord God, Yahweh Elohim of Israel, is their inheritance. Just as he said to them, they don't get land. Why? They get something better. They get God himself. They get to be the leaders of worship. They get to be the pastors and the teachers and those who intercede for the people. They get the offerings given to them so that they can be provided for. They get a portion of Yahweh. You say, well, that's great for them. Yeah, but what is Peter? Again, 1 Peter's a rich book. You ought to read it. Chapter two, say, you don't have to turn there, but what does he say? That you are a chosen nation, you are a royal priesthood. Earlier he says that you are a priesthood and you are designed to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That you now, New Testament church, are priests. You're like Levi's and so you have a portion in Christ and so there's this tension, there's this already not yet. Yes, I'm gonna have that, but you get Christ now. And what we need to start seeing as a church, that when everything stinks, and it will, it will stink, y'all. There is times when it's hard. But you know what? Christ is good still in those. And when we start valuing what really matters, it's not going to make your problems go away, but it will give you joy in the midst of junk. And if I, as your pastor, look, I get the prayer requests, and I see them, and I get to do the counseling, and it's... There's stuff going on, whether it's divorces or miscarriages or lost jobs, and we got some issues. And if I could take all those things away, y'all, I would. I would love to just be able to kind of make them disappear, and I can't. And I'm not promising that Jesus will make them better now either. I can promise you in 100 years they'll be better. Right? But I can point you to now what you do have in Christ, and I can point you to the one who loves you so much he died for you. That's what I can do. And if you can see that, just a sliver of that, that gives you hope and that can give you joy even in the midst of this. So you can be like Job, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord.
That's hard. But it comes when you get what you've got coming, your inheritance, right? Forever we have Christ. You know, just one more thing before we move on. You know, I love, you know, Lord Jesus hints at this so many times. Luke 10, the disciples go sent out and they're casting out demons and Satan's fallen from the heavens and it's beautiful. And they come back and they're pumped and man, I got authority and we got ministry and it's exciting what you're doing, God. Man, is it great? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Don't celebrate and just because demons are listening to you. Don't celebrate how much victory you have. Don't celebrate how powerful you are. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. That's where you rejoice at. And that's where we're at. That's why I think there's joy here because some of y'all get it. You're a believer, your name is written in heaven. There's joy. That's where our joy comes from. Choose joy. Know what you have in Christ. Know what you have in Christ, right? Back to Joshua. Turn to chapter 17. Something interesting that happens here. Let me read it and I'll kind of explain what's going on. Chapter 17, verse 3 and 4. Ooh, I'm in numbers. That's a wrong book, isn't it? Now, the, now Zelophehad had the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, son of Machir, son of Manasseh, had no sons, only daughters. And these are the names of his daughters, Mila, Noah, Hagla, don't name your daughter Hagla, Milcah, and Tizra. And they approached Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun, the leaders, and said, the Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance along with our brothers. So according to the mouth of the Lord, he gave an inheritance among the brothers of their father. And so you have this, and, and you, know, you don't know what's going on unless you kind of know the before picture. You go back and read the book of Numbers. There's this, there's this section in chapter 27 where this guy dies. These gals dad. And they have no brothers. Five daughters, no brothers. And that means in Israel, there's no, your name is gone. Nobody to carry the name. These gals are going to get married off. Their daddy's name is going to be non, no more in existence. And so they go to Moses and they're like, why should our father's name be cut off? I mean, he's been faithful. You know, he needs an inheritance. He needs land so that his name is, is, is perpetuated. And so Moses doesn't know what to do, so he goes to God and says, God, what should I do? God says, give them gals some land. And so he promises them back in Numbers 27, land, All right? Promises them, you're going to get some land. Well, what are they doing here? They're claiming their promise. They're coming, you're set. we don't know how many years are in between, but seven, eight, nine years later, they come back to the two most powerful men in all of Israel, these five gals. They go to the high priest and they go to Joshua and they're like, um, excuse me, Mr. High Priest, show me the land. God promised us some land. Where's our land? We want some land, right? And what you see is this amazing faith for these five gals who before the land was even theirs, they're believing God. And now after the land is theirs, they're still believing God. Great women of faith. Just as a side note, we got some great young single gals of faith. Some of y'all men need to marry them. All right? I'm just telling you, you need to marry them before they get away. We got 70% of our, our leaders and the young gals. Some of y'all men need to step up and grab one of these gals before they get away. Just a side note, application. All right. <laughs> but what you see is these gals are, are, are trusting God and his word. And they are bold enough to ask God for what he's already promised. He promised them land. Where's our land? And my question to us as a church is, are we bold enough to claim the promises that God has given us? Right? He's given us some promises. Peter calls them precious and magnificent promises. 
I think that we're like this. Anybody ever been to a store, a shop, one of the in Savannah, and, they, and you go in and there's nobody there and there's this bell. It's ring for service. Man, I hate that. I just hate My personality, what I'm thinking is, I don't, I don't want to bother them. Probably working. I don't want to be annoying. I don't want to seem demanding. If I do, I do it lightly, and that's nice. Or like, you know, I mean, what do I do? My wife will boom, she'll bang that thing right away, and I'm just, oh, I can't do it. I feel bad, right? But I think that's the way we approach God sometimes, right? Oh, I don't want to bother him. But when He says, "I am a high priest who can sympathize with you, that I have provided a throne of grace so that you may receive." Grace and mercy to help in time of need. He's put the bell out there. And for me, it's so hard to think that the clerk might actually want me to ring it. God says, ring the bell. I put the bell out there. You need something. I've made you these promises. Hebrews 4, grace and mercy in time of need. You need help. I am here. Ring the bell. You're not bothering me. You're not. And two kind of things that that are just encouraging to me and I think that bring me joy and I hope they bring you too. And this is two and three. Number two, that God always welcomes us to that throne of grace. And number three, he always keeps his promises. His precious and magnificent promises. The first one, again, God always welcomes us. Look, as a man and as a dad with four kids, I love my kids, but between the hours of 11 and 6 a.m., I don't want to hear from them. Unless there's an intruder and I need to get a firearm, I don't want to hear from them. Bad dreams, that's her. All right, I just, but that's not our God. That's not our Father who says, no, no, I've thrown of grace. Welcome. Draw near to me, I will draw near to you. And he loves when we take him at his word. He loves it when he claims his promises. And it doesn't say it, but I can't help but think that Joshua, there's got to be a smile on Joshua's face when these gals come up because he's an 85-year-old dude, 100-year-old dude who's probably thinking, that's how I was when I was, when I was 28 full of fire. The reason he's the leader, the reason he's even alive is because he was the one guy that believed, that had great faith. And he sees these five gals with great faith. He's probably thinking, this is is it right here. Somebody's got to marry these gals, right? Great faith. And I can't help but think it makes God smile too because God loves it when we claim his promises. How do I know? Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And what is the only thing he always slams the disciples for? Lack of faith. So when you come to him, believing what he has said, say, God, you said this, and there is no promise that you're going to be rich, just so you know, not this side of, of eternity. So don't, don't go claiming that. That ain't going to happen. But if you claim the promises that he has, it makes, it brings you joy because you know that if I ask anything according to his will, he hears me. And if I know that he hears me, I know that I have the request which I've asked of him, 1 John 5. Right? So to claim his promises and ring the bell. And you think, well, I haven't seen any real big promises or anything that God's done. Somebody had breakfast this morning. No big deal. Got in the car, drove to church. No big deal. I do it every day. I get in the car. Yeah, and why do you do that? Because Matthew 6, 26 says that God cares for you more than the birds, and he's going to provide a meal for you, and he's going to provide what you need. And you blew it off because you do it every day, but you miss a precious and magnificent promise. Some of you men, your shirt is moderately ironed. You get some toothpaste and brush your teeth this week sometime. Why? Because you have a wife, and he who finds a wife finds a good thing. That's what the scripture says. That's why some of you men need to marry some of these single girls with faith. That's what I'm talking about, see? All comes full circle, right? But you miss those precious and magnificent promises. Why? Because we're not looking for them. 
And there's great promises, Hebrews 4 again, that you have grace and help in time of need. Any of you have any time of need? Any of you ladies after a day with the kids and laundry and the cat at the end, do you need some patience before you get, have to go to jail for manslaughter? <laughs> right? And you know, Lord, please get me to 7.30. Just get me. Give me the patience to not lose my temper one more time. You think that's not a big deal? That is a big deal. Ring the bell. Hard day at work. Sometimes I have a hard day. I'll, and five minutes before I get home, I'll just pray, Lord, help me to not bring this into there. I need help. Those are big things. I don't know where I'm going to pay my bills next. You can bring those things. God says, you, you nerve. Anybody have anxiety about all these things that I got to do? I got to take this and this and this, and I got all these things. You got anxiety? What, is, what does Paul say do? To cast that. Anxiety at his feet. Why? Because he cares for you. And the peace of Christ will surpasses all comprehension. Guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. That's a promise. Right? Draw, you feel like, oh, I just had a bad week spiritually. Oh, not worthy to sing a song. Not worthy to bring a Bible. Not worthy. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. These are promises that he has put there so we will claim them, right? Spiritual strength. I, I'm struggling with this lust. I'm struggling with this greed. No temptation has ever taken you, but such is common to man. God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. With the temptation, we'll provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Precious and magnificent promise. So he gives them to us to claim. And when you claim it, there's joy because you know he hears you. Right? You know that he hears you. There's joy. Great inheritance. Great promises. A great God who always welcomes us. One more thing. Flip over to chapter 20. Chapter 20 and 21. 21 is the Levitical cities. They didn't get land, but they got some cities to live in because they got to have houses, obviously. So they get some cities. But chapter 20 is what it's called the cities of refuge. And, and these are cities, and he's going to describe what they're for. But let me read the first four verses, and we'll talk about it. The Lord said to Joshua, say to the people of Israel, appoint the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. They shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of that city. Then they shall take him in the city and give him a place, and he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, then he shall not give up the manslayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. And he shall remain in that city until he stood before the congregation for judgment, until the death of him who was the high priest at the time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town, his own home, to the town from which he led, fled. And the idea is this. You're in a field. You're swinging the axe. And the axe flies off and hits your buddy. You're on your mule texting and you run over somebody texting and muling. I mean, whatever it is, it's not on purpose. It's an accident. It's not, there's no intent. And if, you're, if you're, there's a manslaying issue, there, were, there was these cities that were all throughout the entire, the entire country and they were easy access and they were close to everybody. There was some on the east, there was some on the west. So that you could get to them within a couple miles and you would run to the city and say, I didn't mean to do it, but I killed my coworker and the elders would judge or not if you had intent, and if you didn't, they would say you. Can't, the guy there was no cops in the day, so the ju the judgment was based on that guy's family to avenge this death, and they would protect him and say no no, there was no intent, and he had to stay in that city of refuge until the high priest whoever he was was dead, and then he could go back to his hometown, and that was kind of how justice was served. But the idea is 
when, you're, when there's an issue, you flee and you run to your place of refuge. And many have seen, and I think rightfully so, as the Old Testament constantly speaks and pictures Christ in some way. A, a picture of when you have to run to a place for refuge, where do you run? You run to Christ, right? You run to Christ. And all these cities, very interesting, it wasn't just for the Jews, it was also verse nine for the sojourner and stranger. And, and if you read the book of Numbers, when these things are, 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 are kind of mapped out, they were well designed so that they were all on main roads and so everyone can get to them. There's easy access and you knew where they were so everyone could know this is where the refuge is. And, I, and as I'm kind of just meditating on it, I'm thinking, and this is kind of my favorite point really that, that I thought through this week is that is a, the reason we have joy, the final reason is because our God is a refuge for sinners, for people who are guilty by their accident or not, that he is a God of refuge. And I think the tendency for us is this, for me, when I sin, is to not run to God, it's to do what? It's to run away. Adam and Eve, they sin, what do they do? They hide. Milton the dog, the sanctifier, he chews up the pillow, he hides. Because he knows. But yet, what does our God tell us? Don't run from him. Run to him. Run to him. He is a place of refuge. Hebrews says that he is a merciful. He's a merciful. He had to be like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest. He's, he's merciful. That is our God. And you know the very interesting thing? You know the only time in all of the scripture that God is pictured as running? You know what it is? In the prodigal son parable. When the father who represents God the father sees his lost son coming towards him, what does he do? He runs towards him. And if you, a lost sinner, will run to him, he will run to you. And if you as a Christian who have had a bad week and you think, oh, I can't go to church, I can't sing, I can't. If you would just turn in repentance and run to him, you would find a compassionate and merciful high priest who is like you in all ways yet without sin who will welcome you back and he'll say, let's put the ring on him and let's kill the fattened calf for my son has come home. That is a reason, church, to celebrate and have joy because God is a merciful God, right? Rejoice because you have a great inheritance. Rejoice because Christ always keeps his word and he wants us to claim it and rejoice because he is a place of refuge. It's my time. I got three minutes let me give you a couple reasons in this text that bring no joy. And I don't have time to look at every passage, but there's a couple of them. You see frequently throughout, let me just give you one. In chapter 17, verse 3, 13. You start seeing this pattern. It's throughout this, these nine chapters, but here's one example. When the people of Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor. They didn't utterly drive them out. You constantly see this in the chapters. They, they're not doing what God tells them to do. They, in this case, they think, well, we need some, we need some people to pick up rocks. Let them do that. You see earlier, they couldn't drive them out of Jerusalem. You see them early in chapter 13. As early as 13, eh, you know, we're not gonna go knock them out. And what you see is compromise start to slip in because the big Jericho's gone and they now are pretty much in control and they're pretty strong and they think, we can handle it. We got it. And they do for a while. And then you get to the book of Judges, the very next book, and there's a mess because of these decisions. And it, one of the biggest joy stealers in Christians, and we've talked about it before, is compromise. Can't walk the fence, y'all. 
Compromising Christian is a miserable Christian because they don't get to enjoy their sin and they don't get to enjoy Christ. So they're miserable in all respects. Well, we're just going to live together to save money. No big deal, right? Hmm. Yeah. Oh, it's just one little thing. We're just doing that. It's not a big, we're not as bad as that. It's going to steal your joy. It's going to steal it. Right? Compromise. Something else happens in chapter um, 17. This is what the people of Manasseh, uh, people of uh, Ephraim, excuse me, Joshua, the people of of Joseph spoke to Joshua saying, why have you given me one lot, one portion as an inheritance, although I am numerous since all along the Lord has blessed me. And Joshua says, if you are so numerous, go up by yourself in the forest and there clean ground for yourself in the land of the Perizzites and the Rephaim, since the hill country of Ephraim is too narrow for you. What's going on is Ephraim says, we're big. We just got this little sliver. God is going to give us that. Look look at my brother Manasseh. Look at all that land he's got. Look at Judah. Look at Judah's got. Man, it's no fair. We're big. We're strong. We're Ephraim. We deserve something bigger. He says, you want something bigger? Go up in the mountains and clear it out for yourself. But what you see is another joy stealer is complaining and comparing. I'm telling you, look, all these things were chosen, all these land, God chose by lot. Judah gets this big land, not because Judah's a good boy. Judah's a dirtball. Go read the book of Genesis. He's, a, he's not a good man, right? But he gets this. Why? Because the scepter will not depart from Judah. Because someone's coming from Judah down the line, first David and then his descendant that is going to be king forever named Jesus. That's why Judah gets this land. Because God has chosen them. And God chose Asher up there and he put little Zebul in there and he put Dan there. He put Issachar there because it's God's sovereign choice. And when we start complaining and comparing, well, it's not fair. If you're looking for joy, don't look for joy and fairness. Don't look for it in fairness because you're not going to find it. It's not fair the Philippines got smoked. Not fair. Great story in the book of Acts. Peter and James are both in jail, right? James gets his head cut off. Peter, God sends an angel and rescues him. Does God not like James? I mean, what's wrong with James? They, James gets his head cut off. Peter gets to live another 20-something years. That's not fair. Why didn't God send an angel to James? James is one of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. He was one of the guys that Jesus was best friends with. So why doesn't he save James and he saves Peter? It's not fair. Don't know. Sometimes the Bible doesn't answer the why question. In fact, most of the time it doesn't. But you know what it does answer? It answers the what. What is Jesus trying to do right now in you? What is he trying to teach you? And how is he trying to, trying to make you more like Christ? And that's the question we ought to ask. We can, get, we can ask the whys, and, and that's all right, and we may not get the answer, but the hows and the whats, that's the question we want to talk about. And when we're, oh, it's not fair, they did this, and how come this, and blah, blah. It's going to steal your joy, y'all. Don't compare. Don't complain. Right? And don't think, well, I'm better. Ephraim, I'm better than them. I'll. That just leads to Christian snobbery. We're better because we are elect, not elite. Got to remember that. Right? So those are just some joy stealers. Don't want to end there because I want to I end on those good things. Right? So just back to, back to those things that bring joy. What brings joy? Seeing the value of Christ. It's taking that value where you go on Monday. Remember, for those here last week, Dr. Richard, what he talked about is, is making Christ look great. 
There's something that brings joy about that. When you go to work tomorrow, when you go to class tomorrow or tonight, that you make Christ look great there. There's something that brings satisfaction and joy there. That's the goal, to pursue him. And if you don't know Christ this morning, and there's some in this big room that don't, Christ loved you and died on a cross for your sins so that you might have joy and have life and have it abundant. The only way to get it is to realize that you can't get it on your own, that you are separated and sinful from God, and that he died and took your place, and that if you believe, whoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. God so loved the world, he gave his son. Whoever believes that you turn from your sin and you believe that what Christ did was for you, you can have eternal life, and that is joy. Knowing Christ, that is joy. Knowing what's coming. Let's be a church Yes, the bottom's going to fall out. And we're going to do funerals, and we're going to do uh, goodbyes, and we're going to have people that go to the hospital, and there's going to be all those things until he returns. And when he does, then there'll be the culmination of joy. That's what we look forward to. And so look to that. Look at the value of Christ. Look at the inheritance of Christ. Pursue that. And let that change you. Let's worship. Will you stand with me and let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for this church that we would continue to be a church that has joy and that worships in spirit and truth and that regardless of the circumstance, that we can have joy because we know what we have in you. I pray as we worship that that would be evident. I pray as we leave it would be more evident. Father, make your spirit a comforter right now for those who need it and pointing towards what they just need to know about how you love them. Lord, for the one who's here who doesn't know Christ, I can't convince them of it. I can't open their eyes, but you can. I pray that they would see the value of what you have done for them, that they would understand that they are sinful, but yet you love them anyway, and that you purchased their salvation on your cross, and that through simple faith, they believe. Lord, just do that now for your name's sake. As we sing, be glorified and be exalted for Christ's name.